0: Hi, everybody. This is Brian Smith. I'm back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me Rebecca Vala. And Rebecca is a psychiatrist in private practice in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, She's been a lifelong spiritual seeker, which led her to her interest in near-death experiences. And that's what we're going to probably talk about primarily today. Uh, Near-death experiences, reincarnation, and expanded consciousness. She's focused in her work with patients on inner child healing and on self-love. Much of her work is informed by her own childhood pain and her learning through psychotherapy and personal growth. Spirituality is the core of self-growth work that she journeys with on with her patients, and you can hear Rebecca's story and see how she approaches her work through her YouTube channel at INS Conference 2016 videos. Rebecca Vala, M.D., and that's Vala V A L L A. And Rebecca, am I pr- pronouncing your name correctly? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, just want to make sure. Um, so her website is RebeccaSValaMD.com. I'll put that in the show notes so I don't have to go through spelling it out. But with that, I want to welcome you, Rebecca, to Grief Thank to you. Growth.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to you about, like, what got you started in the work that you're doing. Uh, it's it's really fascinating to are a psychiatrist that works in expanded consciousness field. So how did right. you get started on that?
2: Well, uh, it you know, my own growth is really what led to my approach now. Um, you know, I, I, we all have a story. And mm-hmm. my story is I'm from a large family, seven children, um, and a lot of, of violence in my family, a lot of um, emotional, physical abuse. Um, and I was one of the, 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 the last ones. I was six out of seven.
1: Mm, okay. uh, and
2: so there was just a lot of uh, opportunity in my childhood to um, ask questions about what was my reason for being, and and to feel that I, uh, if I wasn't really welcomed uh, by my family, then what was, what was a greater purpose for for my being here? And mm-hmm. I started my spiritual quest very at very young. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, I now know uh, after living all these years and working with doing my training and working with so many different people um, that uh, it's through pain and suffering that we have so much opportunity to learn. And I now believe that I uh, agreed to come into that, that family. I agreed to have this opportunity to learn on my own without really having uh, models to follow. And so that, that means that I had an opportunity to be kind of free in terms of, of what worked for me and following my own path. Yeah. So,
0: so, so you, you went through this, this pain in your childhood and um, is that what led you to go into psychiatry?
2: Probably. Yeah. Trying to understand uh, my story, my parents' story, Mm -hmm. my father's story. He was the, you know, the primary person who was creating so much, you know, pain and, and violence in family. Um, and, uh, you know, but there was also an interest in spirituality from a very young age and oh, an and experience that, um, for me, and I was born in a Christian, Christian family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, I started reaching out to prayer and to, uh, to feeling the presence of, of. Uh, in my experience, it was Jesus uh, mm-hmm. as a loving um, father figure, I guess, in a way. And it was very real to me, very powerful.
0: Mm. So you said you were a Christian, you started praying mm-hmm. and reaching out to Jesus, and you felt you felt the presence.
2: I felt Jesus' presence. And, and okay. there would be little um, messages from I – w- I started going to Bible school on my own when I was about eight. Mm-hmm. And um, there were, there, that was in a gospel church. And so, you know, gospel churches are known for trying to bring people to accept Christ as their Savior and right. open your heart.
1: Right. And,
2: you know, there was a lot of this idea of, you know, Jesus is, is waiting for you to accept him into your heart. And, um, and I felt like, well, I did that a long time ago. Nobody yeah. tell me that, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I felt like I had already been guided and led before I really heard anybody speaking about it. And that was kind of affirming because, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, of all these people think this is real important and I've already discovered how important it is, then, you know, there must be um, more here for me. And um, I kept, you know, I kept going. I ended up um, as an older, as a teenager, discovering Quakerism.
0: Oh, really? Okay. And the
2: Quaker philosophy that there is that of God in every person. Mm -hmm. And which means that we're all connected and we're all spiritual Hmm. and we're all one.
0: So how did you discover Quakerism? Was that, was that on your own also? Uh,
2: yeah. It was okay. actually through uh, one of my siblings had started to go. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, my family had been in a brethren sect when I was a child. Okay. It was called Plymouth Brethren. And it was, a very, it was more of a cult than anything. Hmm. So, and there was a lot of emphasis on not being part of the world, the world mm-hmm. being seen as corrupt. And the idea was the Bible verse about being in the world but not of the world. Uh, And so there was a lot of, you know, separating out. We couldn't um, socialize with other children. We couldn't celebrate Christmas the way that people did. We had, you know, a lot of restrictions, couldn't watch television, couldn't have movies, couldn't read newspapers. We did go to school with, you know, all the other children in the community where I grew up. But anyway, I, I didn't get a lot out of the Brethren uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe it was, it was instructive in some way in a sort of a negative, uh, direction. That's not what I, that's not what my belief is about who God is. And that's not where I would find, uh, the comfort, um, you know, and the connection with spirituality was not going to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, sometimes I think, uh, we, we have, as you said, we kind of come into these things and it's like, we learn what we're not, what our path is not going to be
1: Yeah.
2: Right.
0: in those early experiences. Yes. So, yeah. um, so you, you decide to study psychiatry, which is um, maybe it's a stereotype, but kind of known for being materialistic or atheistic. There's not a lot of spirituality that most psychiatrists use in their work. So mm-hmm. how does, how do you find that fits with your, your spirituality with your, with your psych, psychiatric training?
2: Well, you know, there are a lot of people in the mental health field who are, they have loving hearts Mm -hmm. and whether they're, um, master's level therapy, uh, trained or whether they're psychologists, PhD level, or whether they're psychiatrists. No, it's true. I had discovered psychotherapy. I worked with, um, an an analyst. He was, uh, both a Freudian trained and Jungian trained analyst Mm -hmm. for five years before I ever went to medical school. And it was actually through him that he encouraged me to think about going to medical school. I didn't have any other encouragement. I didn't have any support about that idea. And I didn't know any doctors. There weren't any that I knew close and personally. Um, But the analyst that I worked with who was a psychologist, PhD, um, felt that for me and for what I uh, could offer, that being a psychiatrist uh, would give me more opportunity and that being a doctor at that time, doctors were largely um, directors of, of centers and things of that kind. Now, they're not usually doctors. They're usually uh, more business-related uh, backgrounds. Um, but it was through him that I, I ended up um, going through all my pre-med coursework while I was working as a special ed teacher and then going to medical school. And of course, knowing pretty much right away that I would probably end up going into psychiatry. And I just saw psychiatry as um, working with people who are in pain and working with people who are emotionally suffering. Yeah. And I knew all about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And
2: uh, And I thought I had learned a lot about how that could be used in a helpful way.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I felt like I would be not only able to learn and, and, and do whatever I was trained to do, but I also would know from my own personal experience, how people felt, um, yeah. and, you know, and be able to connect with people on a more human level, uh, which, you know, which is somehow I was led to do, you know, I mean, I just was led to do that. And so it didn't really matter that it was the, uh, the, sci- the science of it all is always changing. We're learning more uh, about the body and the brain and the nervous system and and trauma. We're learning a great deal about trauma now in Mm -hmm. current times, much more so than we knew when I was in training. Um, I never saw any kind of discrepancy between going into psychiatry and and, uh, doing heartfelt work and connecting with people.
0: Yeah. I guess my question is more like, um, not, that, not that psychiatrists are not heartfelt or care about people. I think that's very true. But, um, like for example, when I, I was going for therapy, um, I knew that my, my problems are more spiritual, I guess I would say, or more, um, uh, soul level yeah. than the mental health, I guess. So I, I went to see, a, I saw that specifically a Christian counselor. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, when I think of psychiatrists, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's very um, looking at the person not as not so much as a soul, but as a, from more of a scientific point of or medical kind of point of view. Is, is that well, right? that's,
2: that's true of all medicine. Yeah. You know, medicine really is kind of behind in terms of what, we're a, we're a mind body, you know, we're not just a body. Right. And we're, um, we're beings of light we're multidimensional yeah. beings of light actually. Yeah. And uh and and you know they're not the medical. The medical world is just beginning to even understand things like energy therapies and um holistic work and, uh and that that kind of thing. But we all need to start um somewhere in terms of credentials,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Absolutely. You know, yeah.
2: and and even if I had become a minister, uh which is something that I considered when I was young before mm-hmm. I really you know, had a whole lot of uh, therapy experience of my own and such, Um, I would have been going into different directions than most ministers are trained to go in. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, I think it's really great. I think it's really encouraging to talk to someone who's medically trained, who has this, this broader perspective, because I think it's really, really important. And she said, even when it comes to doctors that are, uh, not in the mental health field, but just regular MDs, you know, they see that they view us as just bodies, you know, it's, yeah. we're, ju- we're biological robots and they yeah. can't treat the whole person. And you know, like you said, things like energy healing, they totally dismiss. Um, they dismiss how how the mind affects the body because they think it's only the body that affects the mind. So I, I don't, I I'm just, like I said, I'm just really encouraged to see someone who's got your training and your background who can bring that, entire person into you know and to focus
2: yeah and if i hadn't had all of my childhood experience if i hadn't had all the, the need uh to learn what it is to find your life's purpose and your true self and to heal my inner child uh i wouldn't be able to bring um to bear with with patients and it's not just with patients. It's also talks like this Mm -hmm. and talks like I gave for the uh, near death studies organization Mm -hmm. about self-love. You know, I have this, um, I have this knowing, I have a knowing of what's true and what's important. And I try to do that in a way when I'm working with an individual person in my office, I try to do my work very much in a attunement with where my intuition takes me with where they're at and what they're needing. And I always feel like I have guidance, like I'm not doing my work alone. I always feel like, you know, I'm, I'm the only other person in the room, but (laughs) I'm not the only other spirit in the room.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's so great. I think it's awesome. I want to talk to you about, um, healing the inner child, because I think that's a kind of a cliche that we, you know, maybe y'all heard growing up and people kind of, you know, kind of poo poo or laugh at. Um, I can tell you again, when I was in therapy, I found it to be very important, even though I didn't know it was important. There's something I needed to do And so I was sitting in with the therapist right. and we started going back into my past and she's like, you've got some work you need to do to, to heal little Brian, you know? Yeah. So tell yeah. me, tell me about what that's about.
2: Well, you know, we all have inner children. Uh, We, you know, we're we're children and we continue to grow in physical ways and become, you know, aged chronologically, but our child selves live on within us. Mm -hmm. And I, and I usually say, yes, there are different, different ways of looking at it. And there are people who talk about the inner children and the whole uh, number of different ages that we carry within us. But I think that if you can just get in touch with the person you were when you were 4 or 5 years old, that's the authentic child that you came in to be. And if if we're in an environment that's very loving and very secure, that little person will then guide us toward who we become as adults. Hmm. But so many of us lose track, we get alienated from that little person, because we're not in a really safe and supportive environment. And so we end up basically uh, sort of pushing to the side that little person and doing what is expected of us. Yeah. By school, by parents, by other authorities in our lives. And uh, it, we go on. We go into our adult life. We, we are you know, needing to create some sort of livelihood for ourselves and we go to college and we have careers and we get married. And, and it can be well into people's 40s and 50s before they start to realize I'm not really connected. I don't know who I am. I'm not living from a place of authenticity and I don't even know how to do that.
0: Yeah. I think that is, that is so true. And um, (laughs) I was about 40 when I had this, this kind of like breakdown, this crisis. And I said, I went to this therapist and she's like, you know, we've got to work on on the inner child thing. And I'm I'm almost 20 years (laughs) past that now. But when I talk to people, so many people, you know, they're like, I don't really feel like an adult. You know, I, I, we, we all pretend, we run around pretending that we're yes. adults, but yes. we're really just, we're just, we're children. We're very insecure. That's right. And, and it's, it's just, uh, we, we put on these masks, right? We pretend.
2: That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we learn to do that. You know, I mean, we had models of people who basically thought that's what we needed to do. Yeah. And so we learn to do that. So we have to forgive ourselves when we realize that we've been undermining. Uh, you know, our own true self, our own authentic self. We, we have a lot of work to do, but we also have a lot of compassion and forgiveness to bring to ourselves. Yeah. And it's only really in giving ourselves the love and the kindness and the forgiveness that we really have it to give to other people. You know, it, it enables us to, to be so much more of a human being to yeah. do that kind of, you know, inner, inner healing work.
0: Yeah, I remember as we're having this, we're thinking about my grandmother, because my grandmother grew up I I grew up with my grandmother in the house with me. And I remember looking at her one time and she was probably in her late seventies and saying, you know, you're so old or something, something stupid that teenagers say. And she said, I still feel like I'm 16, you know, and I that sticks with me to this day. And this happened forty fifth forty years ago, at least forty years ago. But I remember thinking you I I was kind of taken aback by that. But I think we all kind of feel that. We all still have, we carry those inner children with us as we, as we become adults.
2: We do. There is actually a writer. He's a Jungian therapist who does, has done a lot of writing and I would recommend his books. His name is David Rico, R-I-C-H-O. I I believe he's a psychologist and he's Jungian in his outlook and he's also Mm -hmm. spiritual and you know, Jung himself. Uh, was someone who we think had near death experiences and was a spiritual person.
0: Yeah, um, you can tell from what he can writes. Tell yeah.
2: by some of his writing. Yeah. Uh, and David, one of David's books is How to Be an Adult.
0: Hmm. That uh, sounds interesting. And it's,
2: it's it's worth it's worth looking at. And he's written a number of other books. Okay. Uh, and they're they're small and they're they're very worth reading. They're not an easy read. Uh, you have to kind of study them and take notes when you're reading them. But they're mm-hmm. written by a therapist who's really an integrated person in terms of his own growth and spirituality.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's important for people to really understand that because I, um, I think sometimes we think everybody else has it together and we don't like, I'm the only one feeling this way. I'm the only one that feels lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know who I really am, but everybody else seems to be doing okay.
2: That's right. And that's what we do. We compare ourselves, you know, we're, we're we should be our own best advocate. But you know, we don't feel that we have permission to do that. Mm-hmm. So much, so much of us get confused about what's selfish versus what is self love, and they're not the same at all.
0: Yeah, and I, that leads me to my next question. Let's talk about self love and the importance of self love.
2: Yeah, well, you know, self love is what we have to be. We have to be loving of ourselves if we're going to be loving of other people. We can't, you can't give what you don't already have. Mm-hmm. You know, and those of us who have. Parents who really fell short, um, we we can look back after we do our healing work. We can look back and we can see. Well, they couldn't give us what they didn't have, and they hadn't. You know, they hadn't discovered the work they needed to do, and maybe they didn't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to have some uh, real help with doing that work. Um, but self love is what um, is what we give. You know, we give to little children instinctively right we we give them love you know without expecting anything in return we just want them to be happy and Mm -hmm. we want them not to suffer and um and if they need something or need us or come to us with a problem you know we we want to help them well we need to give that to our own little person and uh we need to find out how we marginalized ourselves from our little person we we don't really know who our little little person is, and we've done that out of habit, and it's been going on for so long that we we don't even realize. And if we weren't connected with in a way that was really loving and helpful as children, then we haven't learned how to do it in some way that makes it easy. And so in the beginning, it's gonna feel very awkward. And you know, I don't know how to get in touch with my little person. I don't know how to talk to her or him. I don't really even know how they're feeling. But but intuitively, we know they're there. Most of us know that we have an inner inner self and that there's pain there. And the closer we get and the more we tear, when I'm working with someone and they tell me about their childhood and when I'm able to connect with their experience, if they tear up, I know we've touched on their child self. Right. And so then I ask them, okay, now what do you, what is your child feeling? This is how you connect. Yeah. But you have to go into the pain in order to make a connection. And then you have to have compassion. And there is a lot online now about self-compassion that people can find. Yeah. And can use. Um, there's lots of resources. That's one of the benefits of, of our computer age is that we can access resources. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, therapy uh, is there. but. That's the, that's, you know, therapy is a relationship that we form with someone who we trust and not just go to a therapist. It might not be the right person for us. And so we really have to use some inner guidance in order to get connected with a therapist. who we really feel is the right person for us? And sometimes there's some trial and error before that actually works out. Okay.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, it's, um, we talk about self love, you know, that was one of the things I had worked on with my therapist when I was in therapy, but you know, and we talked earlier about the religious background and I always felt like, or if self love is kind of like not being humble, it's not being, you know, you shouldn't say good things about yourself. And I find I'm a life coach and where i worked with a lot of my clients, one of the biggest things is they're so hard on themselves. I mean, I find that's so common across the board and, People parents that have lost children, it doesn't matter how their child passed, they always feel guilt about not always. But a lot of times they feel guilty about it. It could be a grown child that was across the country when it happened, but they should have somehow stopped it. Yes. And what I try to tell people is talk to yourself the way you talk to like your best friend. Or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe how you how you talk to a little child. You would never say these things to another person. Mm-hmm. But we say them to ourselves.
2: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, if you, if, if, if anyone is motivated to, to look at my video, it is about self-love is not selfish. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the messages that we get from near-death experiencers. When they've gone to the other side and they have had a life review and they have seen the fullness of their life and the learning that was waiting for them in their lifetime. And then when they uh, come back, so often they have this uh, knowledge that, I have to learn about love. I—that's what we're here for.
0: Yeah. And
2: I have to love myself. I have to. I have to. You know, no one knows better than we individually know about what we have gone through, and how you know how life has hurt us, and how confused we've been, and 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 so we're you know we're the ones we've been waiting for, right? Yeah. And it's an inside job. Of, yeah. And that's one of the things that I think uh, losing someone that we love brings us to. It brings us to our knees. Oh, yeah. And, and we're, then we're looking more directly within because we don't know where to turn.
0: Well, I want to talk about – I want to make sure people understand your videos. It's on YouTube, and it was a talk you gave at the INS 2016 conference.
2: Yeah, it seems to be more easy to access it through um, conferences, INS conference so IANS is I-A-N-D-S, that's International mm-hmm. Association for Near-Death Studies, mm-hmm. conference, 2016, videos, and then put in my name, Rebecca Vela, and the talk is called Self-Love is Not Selfish.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's such an important message, and, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, but as I said, I, I, I listen to a lot of near-death experiences, and, I, and Anita Marjani comes to mind. Yes. And she talks about how she was so hard on herself, and she sit, thinks that led to her illness. Right. Now she talks about self-love and I just find myself instinctively when I hear people talk about self-love that program. And my mind says, no, you can't, that's not a good thing. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember a little kid being in Sunday school, they had this, this acronym we, they would used called joy, which was Jesus, others, and you. So Jesus first, then other people and then yourself last. Right. And that's the way we're supposed to think of ourselves. So when I hear think of yourself, you know, and take care of yourself first, That's, that's a hard thing for me to hear.
1: Uh
2: huh. But yeah, Jesus, you know, Jesus told us, uh, you know, that we should um, love others as we love ourselves. Yeah. You know, we have that message. We just don't remember it.
0: Yeah. Well, we got it. We got it flipped around. I think, I think we took it totally backwards. We were like, okay, well, loving yourself is not a good thing, but yeah, Jesus was saying that you do love yourself and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that.
2: Right. Well, it's not only nothing wrong with it; it's absolutely what we need to do, you yeah. know. And, and other things that are said, uh, you know, in Jesus has to said, "I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." Mm-hmm. We're here to have abundant life. We're here to love, you know, life and to feel joy and happiness. But we can't get there uh, without really uh, opening our hearts to our own pain. You know, we have to honor our own experience. Mm-hmm. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. dot grief the number two growth dot com slash n d e lessons I hope you enjoy it well let's talk about our own experiences because you um you you had a a difficult childhood and i think we all probably did in some ways we we come in this world and somehow we get we get wounded we get bruised Is there a purpose behind the things that we go through
2: well i mean i' that's part of my learning that there is. You know, um, it doesn't look like it on the surface. And I think, I think we have to end up, you know, the more we live, I think we have to get to a place where we say things are not as they seem. It's not self-evident what somebody's life is about. Uh, and, and the more you, you look at near death experiencers and you listen to their messages, um, the more, you know, it, it becomes clear that this is just one lifetime and that we have lived before and we will likely live another lifetime in the future and that each lifetime has a trajectory that is about soul growth or or learning mm-hmm. and and the large component of that is learning about love uh, but there is a purpose to our lives you know and if we came into a family where everything went wonderful and we were wanted and we were in good health and nobody ever died and we had all that we needed we wouldn't really be in that same trajectory that where we needed to learn. Um, and most people don't have a life that looks like that
0: at all. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I talk to people, and as we talk about this this planning or this soul planning or, you know, these things that we go through, they want to carve out exceptions. They're like, well, but, but what was there to be learned from me being abused? What was there to be learned from a, someone starving to death? What, you know, they'll, they'll say, I can accept this to a certain point, but they want to, or a lot of people say, I would never have chosen this family. There's Mm -hmm. no way I would have chosen the family I grew up in. So what would you say to someone that says that?
2: Uh, Well, things are not as they seem, Mm -hmm. you know, and step back and think twice about um, what did growing up in the family that you came from, what did it force you? What did it push you to have to confront? And what did you learn? What did you witness? That was important to witness in terms of how human beings can end up becoming very distorted, and being, uh, you know, um, a negative version of who they could be.
0: Yeah. And
2: what did you say to yourself? I'm never going to be a, a father like that father. I'm never going to be a mother like that mother. You know, you started saying things to yourself in an early age because of what you experienced and what you witnessed, and those messages that we give ourselves as children. They begin our process
0: for growth. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, You know, because I think my observation has been when we grow up in these families, we can either vow to never do that, or we can uh, maybe unconsciously or just kind of sleepwalk through and become just like our our parents. And I see people go both ways. You know, if you grow up with an an alcoholic father, for example, you might say, well, I'm never going to drink because I don't want to be like that or you mm-hmm. might you might turn into you know, an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I remember my grandmother, as I said, she lived with us a big, big part of my life. She lived with us from the time I was eight till the time I was 21 when she passed away. And she would say things like, I had a mean stepmother. So I didn't learn how to, how to express love. And she, you could, she wanted to, and she would tell us that she wanted to, but that was just not part of who she was. And she would say this to my mother, and say, you can do better than I did because you've got books and television and things like that. So I grew up hearing that message. And so when I had my girls, I was like, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm a loving father and I express that to them.
2: Right, so see how it helped you? Your Your grandmother was right when she said, I didn't have it, I didn't have what I needed and so it's hard for me. And that was a loving thing for her to say, Mm -hmm. because she was, she was saying, I wish I could be more loving. And I see that I was deprived and, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's, I don't want to deprive you. I love you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously she loved you because you love her and you keep referring to her. So as much as she was deprived of the love she needed, she was still able to give it to you. Um but she could have, she could have actually, you know, benefited from therapy and healed herself if that had been available to her.
0: Right. And that, and it wasn't, and, and it, it was, I, I mean, I still think about it today and I mean, it's been 35 or 37 years since she passed away, but I still, I, I tear up when I think about it because um, I feel sorry for her because you know, she wanted to express that and that was her way of expressing it. And uh so it, it, it's, but it, it taught me, like I said, with my girls, I wanted it to never be a question. So every mm-hmm. night before they went to bed, I kissed them. I told them I loved them. I told them I was proud of them. And all the things that I didn't hear growing up. Um, so I didn't want to the turn to therapy session for me, but that's, that's <laughs> that was my experience.
2: Yes, yes. And, you know, and, and so you came in, you know, sometimes, you know, what I have to say is once you accept reincarnation, I mean, which, I mean, if, you've, if you see enough people who had near-death experiences, you're going to come to that understanding.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but once you accept that, then you see this lifetime differently and you start to say to yourself, what did I come into this lifetime already knowing that I had learned in another lifetime? And it's very interesting to ask yourself that question because you may have already known as a child the importance of opening your heart. in in connecting with others. And then that you built on that Mm -hmm. in in the sense of, you know, basically feeling your own pain, not being afraid to feel pain. There are people who are afraid to feel pain. They just won't feel it. They'll just deny it. They'll distract themselves. They just won't feel it. Mm -hmm. But you came in to this lifetime with an openness to feeling and having your heart open. You know, there's, there was a determination there you know, my heart is going to be open. I'm, even though it hurts, I'm going to keep my heart open. Yeah. You know? And I think that's one of the things that makes a difference why there are siblings in a same, same family. And some of them, um, are able to be more loving and, uh, open in all kinds of ways. And others are not, they're more, you know, they're more closed and, um, They, they don't trust uh, relationships and things like that. You can see differences.
0: It's really interesting. And, you know, just having two children, because I had, you know, two children and everybody, if you're going to have children, you should have at least two. So you can realize you're not the one that creates them because they could be so different. But there were four kids in my family and I came out totally different from the other three. And we had the same experiences, grew up in the same house with the same parents, went to the Mm -hmm. same church. And the church thing just freaked me out. I mean, it, it messed me up for decades. And the rest of them were just kind of like, eh, you know, yeah. it didn't bother them at all. Yeah,
2: right, right. So we come in, you know, and I can tell you what i have learned. looking back on my life, um, I can tell you that I came in to this lifetime uh, knowing that um, growth and change are part of life, and that I was very accepting and open to growth and change,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: which I didn't realize, of course, Growing up that that not everybody comes into this lifetime the other thing I came into into this lifetime with was truth I really sought truth I wanted to know what's true I still am like that and that has those two things have served me very well in terms of the path that I have you know meandered down mm-hmm. uh, you know and that has brought um, me to be guided um, you know actually, Probably primarily by my own pain and suffering, and then secondarily by the desire to help others.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it it sounds terrible when we say a lot of people don't like to hear it, but we do grow through pain and suffering. It's just yes. a, it's just a fact. Yes. It just is. Uh, yeah. So, um, how did you get into the near death studies? Um, you how did you find out about ions? What made you what what drew you to near death experiences?
2: Um, well, uh, someone suggested that I read the books of Brian Weiss. Okay. And Brian Weiss is a psychiatrist, um, and his um, books are about past life regression. Um, and they're, I would recommend them because they're fascinating to read, um, and they're based on his experience as a psychiatrist. Uh, and so I read all the books of Brian Weiss, and I had already been interested in Ray Moody's book, um, which was you know Life After Life, mm-hmm. and he coined the term near death experience and that book came out in the seventies. And, and because of my seeking after truth, those things were right, you know, front and center for me to understand and learn about. Yeah. So after reading Brian Weiss's books and he, you know, as a psychiatrist, I guess I, I could really relate to how he learned from these patients, um, about past lives, about mm-hmm. reincarnation. And then from there, um, near death studies, near death experience, just, you know, became something that I read and read and read about. And, and then I discovered the organization, uh, only about eight or so years ago okay. and then I've been involved with them ever since. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I, 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 um, uh, when I started studying about uh, death ex- what's after death, I guess, um, uh, I was drawn to different things, but the near-death experience, you know, drew me in right away and I, I started reading about them. And I was telling you before we started recording, I attend our local IONS meetings, even though I'm not an experiencer, uh, but just like being around people here. Cause there's, I think the lessons from the near-death experience are universal Yeah. and we can have, we can learn the lessons without going through the experience. Yes.
2: Yes. Luckily, you know, Yeah. So there's a great deal of inspiration. So I'm, I'm often asking for my patients to look at the YouTubes that are out there mm-hmm. of, of near-death experiencers telling their stories um, and to you know, think about going to the local groups that are available. Now we have online events that happen all the time uh, where we have experiencers who are teaching about what they've learned and sharing their experience. And, and then it takes you into other areas because a lot of people who come back from having a near-death experience find that they have gifts. That they didn't have or they didn't know they had prior to the experience. <clears throat> so some of them are able to be mediums, some of them are able to connect with those whose souls are are on the other side. And and it just takes you into new areas. You know, there are people who connect with their adolescent children after they pass. And it helps such a great deal with their grief. And there's writings about that, and there's you know, there's a, there's a whole group of people that pursue that. And, you know, they teach others and they help one yeah. another. You
0: no, know? I, I find almost all the experiences. Well, everyone I've met, I was going to say almost, mm-hmm. but it's actually universal. All the ones I've met. Um, they're just like loving, giving bright light people that just want to help, you know? Um, so I think that's, I think it's, it's wonderful. That the message they bring back. I didn't realize there was an online, um, yeah there's an uh, part of
2: part of the organization is now is called isgo i s g o okay and that stands for um uh, groups online uh, the, the, um i'm trying to think what the i and the s stand for but it's meetings it's groups online so that and the groups the groups are interest focused okay i um, so you can become a member of IANS and 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 then you can be accessing these isgo events uh, for very little money.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, And, um, and there, there are all kinds of things, um, you know, after death communication is one, Mm
1: -hmm. um,
2: there, there are, um, people who, you know, want to focus on, uh, some aspect of, of healing, for example, like suicide, you know, maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. they have had, you know, people in their family who've suicided, and, um, so there might be a, or an IsGo group. That's about that.
0: Okay. Um, you know, that's all good to know, of topics. Yeah. Because they're not, they're not groups in every locale. I'm, I'm fortunate there's a meeting for, that's about 15 minutes for me. Um, and they meet monthly, but not everybody has that. So for people that don't, um, uh, check out the online stuff, I think that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah.
2: Look up ions and then look up IsGo, and, you know, and get it, you know, if, if you're a member of ions, which costs very little money, mm-hmm. um, you get a break on your on on these isgo events. Okay, awesome. Meetings online.
0: Um. So Rebecca, how does how does this knowledge we know about we continue in the near death experience? How does that relate to how we uh, deal with grief? How can this how can it help us getting through grief?
2: Okay. So grief, whether it's whether it's acute grief, like we've just lost somebody dear to us, and we feel like we've been knocked over by a tsunami or whether it's grief as an adult from uh, someone, even a pet, someone we love that died years ago. Grief is, once grief happens, grief will always be with us. Grief grief is a transformative experience. Uh, And it is, grief is filled with um, hidden gifts. Um, With, uh, you know, with the, the, you know, the idea that, Um, there are silver linings and grief is one of those experiences where there are always silver linings. But when it first hits us, we're not, we're not going to know what those are. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And grief has to be reckoned with. You know, you have to allow yourself to go into it and you have to feel all of the different feelings and the pain, Uh, you know, and, and grief people who've gone through grief they tell you that they feel pain primarily in their chest.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They say that over and over again. They feel pain in their chest. And sometimes the pain comes in waves. So they might, they might have felt like, oh, well, I'm not feeling what I felt months ago. And then all of a sudden, they're having more of that pain again. And they recognize it. And they say, oh, I'm having more grief pain, and it, here it is, it's right in my chest. And I believe the reason it's in your chest is because that's your heart chakra. And I believe that our hearts are highly um, sensitive organs. You know, we know we have subtle bodies, we have ener- we're energetic beings and our bodies don't end with our, our skin. Mm-hmm. There are energetic bodies that surround us, ener- there are energy fields that surround us. And the heart chakra has such importance for our, for our growth and our learning. And we, we must know that when something hits us in that way, there will be something, some process we need to go through, and we will be guided, and we will be brought to a place of expanded capacity for love. That, will, that, is, a, that is a sureness. But we have to, our heart has to open, and we have to allow that, that pain and we have to know that we will be, we will be helped through it. We're not alone. We have spiritual help and we certainly have spiritual help when we have that kind of pain. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of hymns that talk about, you know, it is well with my soul
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, that, that, that people can, can resonate with that no matter what they're going through, it will be okay. And those right. are some of the messages near death experiencers come back with all is well, all will be well, you know, yeah. and the idea is, you know, death is part of life. Death is one of those mysteries. There can be in the midst of the pain, there can be actual inspiration in a sense of, um, a peace that passeth all understanding yeah. in the midst of great suffering, you know? And so these are parts of the mysteries that happened um, with a grief experience. Grief is something that we probably have agreed to before we came into this lifetime Mm -hmm. that we would have certain losses and that we would learn from those losses and that we will be reunited with love never dies. We are reunited with those we love when we transition.
0: Yeah.
2: We can be, we can be guaranteed that that will happen. And there are a lot of people who actually feel connected and they feel like they can uh, connect and, have you know communication on a telepathic basis with people who passed there there are those who do that Uh, but that's not for everybody not everybody wants to go in that direction not everybody feels led Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but the healing work um is is a work of a lifetime and there's there's always uh in a way it's sort of the gift that keeps on giving because there's uh, more and more layers of depth and learning once a person has been hit in that way.
0: Yeah. You know, you, as you were giving your answer, you touched upon uh, the hymn as it is well with my soul. Um, And just hearing that when you said that my body just filled with goosebumps because that song just touches me so deeply since my daughter passed. I mean, frankly, before that, I liked the song, but since she passed, it's just every time I hear it, it just, it brings me to tears. But what I didn't pay attention to when I first heard that song, because I'm like, it's well with my soul and all those bad things happen, was the third verse. I think it's the third verse where it says, Lord haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. Because that's what gets me through is that you, you said, you know, we will see them again. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's the difference, I think, in, in maybe your practice versus some other people when you go to, to deal with grief. because, And, and I, think, I think it's coming around. It used to be, they would say, it's just like, accept it, accept the fact that the person is gone and move on with the rest of your life. Whereas now it's the continuing relationship with the person and the hope of seeing them again.
2: Yes. And they, I mean, if, if you want to know proof that our souls live on, you know, lose, you know, lose somebody dear to you and there will be some sign, there will be some way that we will feel a connection with them and we will we will have we will have the evidence we need because each of us has to have our own knowing that our souls live on it's Mm -hmm. not just a wish it's not just a you know let's hope uh it's you know it really is it is it is true and we will we will live on uh when we pass and and we will have you know an experience beyond this this lifetime And whatever we learn in this lifetime, will pay forward. This is what I believe. Once Mm -hmm. we learn it, we don't have to relearn it. We may learn other things in our next lifetime. And we will have some choices about where where our soul learning goes in another lifetime.
0: Yeah. I know so many parents being part of helping parents heal that we'll talk about reincarnation and you bring it up and they're like, Oh, I'm never doing this again, but uh, hopefully we don't have to learn the same lessons over again. So I like to hear yeah. you say that.
2: Yeah. Well, when, once we have them, we have them, you know, yeah. and then we can, uh, we can move on. There's so many inspirational um, books now and um uh, messages that come through and there are people who just don't churches just don't do it for them they you know and when you ask them if they pray they're like no i don't and i don't really think i want to and that's not you know that doesn't speak to me Mm -hmm. um that's okay that's okay you you will find your way yeah it doesn't have to be the way someone else finds their way
0: yeah I, I think churches work for a lot of people. They work for some people for for their entire lives. Some of us once this something like this happens, like my daughter passing, you realize I need to go deeper. I need something different from this, and then we, we move on to something else and uh, there are many different paths that we can take to get to the same place
2: right you know and and what I say to people is if you have a spiritual uh practice, whether it 's prayer whether it 's meditation whether it 's uh, you know, walking with nature, being with nature, or whether it's some uh, other more Native American kind of a, a way. Um, once you have a spiritual practice, you can build on that practice. Mm-hmm. And, and you can add into it whatever you need. And so when you start to discover that there's healing work to do, there's inner child healing work to do, then you can add it to your spiritual practice and ask. You know, the Bible tells us, ask and It is given. Seek and ye shall find. Yeah. Knock and the door will be open, but you have to ask. I need help. I need guidance. I need comfort. I need. I need to be shown. And you ask in the most sincere way that you know how, and you will be given an answer. Yeah. You may not get the answer you want, and it may not happen immediately.
0: Yeah, that's. I, I love what you just said, and uh, you know, I, it was reminding me again my my background growing up, and I remember them saying that. You know, your faith or religion is not a cafeteria. You can't pick and choose. You have to just go with what we tell you. So here's the book and here's the way things go. And it's exactly the opposite. We can, we have to create our own spirituality. We have to create our own path and we can pick and choose. And the truth is everywhere around us. In in many traditions, I was interviewing someone earlier today about a teaching called A Course of Miracles. Yes, which and we were talking about how that dovetails with the near-death experience, and how it tells us the exact same thing that the near-death experiences are telling us.
2: All right. Yes, I mean, Course in Miracles is a, is a wonderful, um, you know, Course in Miracles. From my understanding, is something that they say is channeled. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, it came from spirit through uh, the individuals that put it on paper and formulated into into book form. Um, and to me, it's, you know, it is very much like the near-death experiences where people have messages from their spiritual guides and from those they meet on the other side, and those messages are very meaningful and they bring them back. Um, and Course in Miracles is like that. It's, it's filled with that kind of very meaningful, very life-affirming, uh, hopeful, comforting message.
0: Yeah, I just uh, so I I always encourage people to you know as you said ask and it will be open to you seek and you shall find knock and 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 check different sources and see what resonates with you and that's your right. your spirit recognizes truth I think it's like we don't it's like we're relearning not relearning but we're being reminded of something we already know that's and right and so when you hear it it's like oh yeah I knew that I remember that uh huh
2: we resonate right. Yes. A, and it's often it's at a heart level. to yes. resonate with what with what speaks to us and what what we kind of already already know.
0: Well, let's talk about um, one of the questions I'd ask you for some questions before we started. And one of the ones you had, you had said I I could ask you was, "What is our purpose for being alive besides learning to love better?" And is this life all just work? I mean, are we here just to work, or why are we here?
2: Well, the purpose is joy. The purpose is joy and happiness. That's it. Uh, and learning is, learning is a joy if we if we uh, go about it um, with our whole heart. Um, but joy and happiness are, are things that we actually have to kind of um, put some muscle into. Mm. They don't just happen. Uh, they do for children. Children, children are closer to the other side. You know, they're they're part spirit. Uh, and they're closer to the spirit world. And so when we think we see little children who just authentically are who they are and they love life and they run around and they're delighted with all the things that are waiting for them to learn and do and and they think their body is so wonderful because they keep learning to do different things with their bodies and Mm -hmm. um, that's the natural joy. And we see that in animals, right? We see that in dogs and puppies and kittens. but when we grow to be adults especially if we've lost connection with our child self then joy seems sort of mysterious and hard to we can talk about it maybe but how do we access it 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 doesn't seem uh so natural anymore for most of us and and actually the work that is waiting for us is is the path to joy the work of connection with our heart and with our child self, and the work of healing. There, there, once you start down that path and you begin to have some healing, you start feeling this life force kind of starting to bubble up in a way. Hmm. And it's like, oh, that's been waiting for me all this time, but it's been sort of buried, it's been sort of kept down with pain and fear and um, habits of self-protection, defensiveness, uh, and so then we feel this liberation of this life force, um, which energetic healers will tell you is very important for health and well-being. To get to that.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, it was remind it reminded me of a song I love called "Return to Innocence" uh, by a group called Enigma, and and the video of it kind of shows people. Uh, it shows people old, and they're getting younger as they go through, and. Yeah. I think we come into this world, as you, you talked about with children, that they're open. I and mean, that's, that's what I love about kids is they're just, they're so free. They're, um, they live in the moment. They're truthful. My daughter was like, she was extremely truthful, but you know, she never meant to hurt anybody, but she would, right. she would just tell you the way things are. Uh-huh. And I really wish as adults, we could be more like that, that we could be more open and, and joyful. And but we as you said we earlier, we kind of put on these masks, we walk around and we pretend to be something right. that we're not. Mm-hmm. And the path seems to be finding our way back to what we were when we came in.
2: That's right. Was it was it Whitman who said the child is father of the man?
0: Oh, I didn't know. I it was Walt that. Whitman who said Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, we can we can get to that. And as I said, it's just um, it's so great to to meet someone in the medical profession doing what you do that has the the understanding of the the medical side of it as well as who we are as spirits and souls. And I mean, I think you'd be a, a fan of great person to work with, um, I, I, it's, it's really encouraging to, to see someone like you out there.
2: You know, it, it's very rewarding for me. I can't tell you. You know, and the other thing that I didn't get a chance to say is that I'm very willing to cry with my patients. I'm very willing to do that. Um, for me, you know, that that means my heart is, is being at, involved. Mm-hmm. My heart has been touched. Um, and, and I don't want to um, dampen that so um tears and you know the the sharing of um people's pain is actually brings back to me a sense of great fulfillment yeah know? and um i'm the one who benefits is what i tell them
0: I, you know as you said that or my, my daughter's in mental health counseling she's in grad school right now getting her uh, her master's degree and you know so she's getting the training right now yeah. and one of the things i've told her is you know stay detached and don't cry with your patients and stuff. And she works with children and she loves children. Um, and she's a very uh, s- spiritual person. I mean, she's really open, you know, intuitively and all that stuff. And I want to, I'm, I'm hoping she's going to listen to this podcast. She doesn't listen to my podcast, but I'll oh. make her listen to this one <laughs> um, and give her permission to be open and to be fully human. That's right. That's
2: right. And you know what? Sometimes people just have to work for a while because yeah. training kind of puts these limits around you and you feel like oh my goodness i, I don't have the freedom to be a real person right, in right. you know in a professional role um, and over time especially it depends on some of your mentors you can um, you can you can put your whole heart into your work and that's what makes it so rewarding really
0: yeah well for me that's what makes it effective because i was i was led to the right person or whatever. When I went, when I did go to therapy and I met someone who was very genuine and real and able to cry with me and could understand, you know, not just look at me as a, as an analytical type of thing, but really, you know, connect with my, I mean, on an emotional level. Cause that's, I think that's what people need when they go to therapy. I think they need to connect emotionally.
2: That's right. And you need to feel like you're being seen for who you are in your uniqueness. Yeah. We're all unique, you know?
0: Yeah, we are. And I think it's very important to understand who we are as, as spiritual beings. I, I, that's right. it's, I, think that's, um, I think that's one of the biggest problems in our world today is people don't understand that, that we are spiritual beings, that we, we, we are here for a purpose, our life has meaning, that our pain has meaning, um, and that death, which most of us don't even want to think about, is merely a transition into the next thing that we do.
2: Right. That's true. Her.
0: So, Rebecca, anything else you want to say before we, uh, before we wrap up today?
2: Um, and so those are the things that I would tell people in acute grief to look for and to be, um, those are signs that this too shall be an important growth opportunity. It will not always feel so painful but there's work to do, but at least you have evidence, you have evidence and you know, you're being shown. So pay attention.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I after you said that it reminded me, I was talking with a parent the other day that as their child was passing, they said they felt this huge wave of peace. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't understand that. <laughs> what, yeah. what was that about? Okay. But as you said, look for those things because well, those, yeah. those, those, those things are evidence that, you know, there's a lot more to this than what we see.
2: Yes. And you're being watched over. I tell everyone we're all watched
1: over.
0: Yeah. All. yeah I think that's wonderful. I, I appreciate that. I want to get let people know again, where they can uh, reach you, Rebecca. It's Rebecca S as in Sam uh, Vala MD.com. And I'll put that in the show notes for you. Um, also go to ions.org. We, we referred to ions a few times here today. Uh, so go to ions.org for more information on near death studies.
2: Great. Thank
0: you so much. Becca, thank you so much for doing this and uh, have a great weekend. You too.
2: It's my pleasure. Bye-bye.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to make it really easy for you to reach me. So just send me a text to 31996 and simply text the word growth, G-R-O-W-T-H. In fact, you can right now just say, hey, Siri, send a message to 31996. And when Siri asks you what you want to send, just say growth. You can do the same thing with OK Google. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com.
0: Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grief to growth.com community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.